glad you could join us for episode 81 of Fatalists. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, and fingers crossed, no techno problems tonight. Dude, you totally just jinxed it right there. I know. Knock on wood, throw salt over your shoulder, do, do what you got to do, man. Take care of that now. I'm not saying another word till you, till you de-hex us. Speaking of de-hexing, we'd love to hear from the listeners via email at fatalistpodcast at gmail.com, the website fatalistpodbean.com, where you can leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab or just record your own audio clip and send the MP3 as an attachment. But tonight right, we're here. Dave, I got a quick question. Okay. How's all that related to de-hexing? It doesn't. Okay. <laughs> like, and in fact, de-hexing. <laughs> in fact, Michael was, was getting on me today about my penchant for uh, sometimes good transitions, but sometimes pretty sketchy ones. Yeah, that, so, that was one of the sketchy See how ones. I worked in sketch there? You did. A character like in Dark Angel. So, uh, yeah, I, I got you. I think maybe you made up for the sketchiness of your transition by yeah, bringing probably up not. sketch. That's all irony here. All right. Well, anyway, tonight we're here to discuss season one, episode six of James Cameron's cyberpunk series, Dark Angel, starring Jessica Alba and Michael Weatherly. But before we get to that, Wayne, do we care that season three of Continuum aired on June 22nd, 2014, and we still have no word one way or the other about whether or not it's coming back for season four? And as I'm sure Lost Girl listeners know, Shaw Media, which owns the Showcase Network, is basically responsible for this. So do we care? Well, yeah. I mean, we've talked about this a lot. And when it was just a couple weeks after the the last episode showed, we were like, this is crazy. Now we've reached the part that this is knocking futz, man. I mean, come on. Yeah, one way or the other. And, you know, I mean, the thing about it is the numbers for Lost Girl have been pretty strong. So you almost wonder why they decided to pull the plug after five seasons. Now, I suppose it's possible that Anna Silk wanted to pursue other options. Uh, you never know. But with a show you know, that's doing well for Showcase, you wonder even, even there why they decided to uh, make season five the last one. A, a, little, a little bit less than Continuum because you kind of get the idea of maybe, like, I mean, five seasons actually pretty good that's pretty solid nowadays you know yeah oh yeah um and so you get a feeling that they've had a chance to really put a story out there and now we'll have an excellent chance to give it a good sense of closure whereas continuum is clearly in the very early stages of of telling this story and i mean the numbers are are still decent i I mean i don't know but i assume the numbers are still respectable sure yeah but doing well in canada are you implying that the network might actually care about telling a good story with its show? No, not at all. Oh, not okay. at all. I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is that it seems more shocking with Continuum. If Continuum should be canceled, it would be see, more shocking with them than the announcement that Lost Girl was not was only getting one more season. I guess. Yeah, no, I agree with you. So, but so we'll just, see. I mean, like, how do they? What what they could be waiting for? Almost boggles comprehension right i mean even the the people involved with the show don't know what's going on right right at least they're not letting on that they know right and and i mean the only thing that makes sense at this point is that there's something contractually with one of the stars because simon barry the show's creator like you said pretty much laid out there that he doesn't know any more than anybody else so we're taking him at his word yeah well sort it out man you know um because you just uh, there's there's 
beyond just the people who want to watch the show, which is, I mean, great, and that's one thing. But there's a lot of people who this is their livelihood, right? Sure. You're just leaving right. them in limbo. Just yeah. Well, you, we you might have a job next year. You might not. So well, right. And, and you know the thing is not that anybody at Shaw Media cares. And and you know you and I and Michael talk fairly frequently at work about Continuum. E- even the two of us that are doing the Continuum podcast, we're, we're both kind of losing interest. I mean, the, you know that passion is waning, and you start getting involved in other things and. Again, not that they care, but if we're feeling like that, you got to believe a lot of the audience is feeling the same. I mean, maybe not the hardcore people, but yeah. Well, yeah. Well, you and Michael are in the uh, the front line of continuum media things. So uh, yeah, you know, so, yeah. If you guys are becoming disenchanted, that's not good at all. You know. Anyway, we'll keep the listeners posted on what we know. If anything, it's been quite a while. Like we said, nearly four months now, but. Uh, Anyway, a little bit of sci-fi news tonight, Wayne. Christopher Nolan, who I know you think a lot of. I think a lot of Christopher Nolan, yes. No no secret about that. Yes, and we all know Christopher Nolan from his Batman films, and he has decided to do something a bit different to introduce his new sci-fi movie, Interstellar. Unfortunately, some theater companies are not too happy about his early opening promotional movement. And Nolan is opening the film a few days early for theaters that are willing to show the movie on film as opposed to digitally because he's a huge proponent of the classic film medium. Now, last week, Paramount and Warner Brothers announced that theaters still equipped to project 35mm and 70mm film will get Nolan's Interstellar two days early on November 5th. According to The Hollywood Reporter, approximately 240 theaters and 77 markets are participating, including 41 IMAX locations. Now, Spotlight Theater's founder Joe Paletta noted that the retro push for the opening devalues what we've done in reference to expensive upgrades to high-def digital projectors, which obviously you can understand. And Foothills Cinema president and CEO Byron Berkeley agreed, adding, it makes no sense to step back in time. Now, though most everything seems to be going digital these days, Nolan remains a huge proponent of film, and he actually shot Interstellar using a combination of 35mm 65 millimeter IMAX film. Now that should give it a unique look because obviously we're so used to seeing everything in digital these days. And here's how Paramount vice chairman, Rob Moore explained the decision. He said interstellar plays spectacularly and we have a filmmaker who loves film. So we wanted to take a moment to showcase film as an important part of our heritage. Now, finally, Nolan sees this promo as a way to hopefully remind moviegoers that film is still awesome. Will it take a few dollars away from digital project houses? Probably. Does it mean theater goers see the movie as the filmmaker intended? Yes, it does. You know, obviously, I've I've been on record. I don't go to the movies, but I'm certainly interested in seeing the film when it does get released on DVD. Yeah, that would be uh, it'd be pretty cool to see it on film. Actually, that would that'd be wild. You got to think the people who go to see that are the people who like a obviously want to see the movie but b are also like nolan film aficionados you know people who like the old school um it's not going to be your your common guy in the street is going to want to go see it on you know on film he's going to wait for the you know the dolby digital high def stuff right and the person that's going to go see it on film is also probably still listening to vinyl yeah and then Uh, jason right i was going to say if 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 he liked sci-fi jason would be first in line i'm sure (laughs) <laughs> but uh, we did get one listener email this week, uh, and again from Bradley. 
who says, after listening to your discussion of cream, I wanted to offer an alternate theory of the end of the episode when Max states that she decided that her birthday is yesterday. I've always felt that Max simply isn't interested in celebrating her birthday. And apparently Max never celebrated one with original Cindy, Kendra, and the rest of the Jam Pony gang. And for some reason, they never pestered her about it either. So when Logan starts insisting that she pick a day to call her birthday, she chooses yesterday, giving her a full year until she has to worry about. Anyway, take care. Keep up the good work, Brad. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess delay the inevitable. You know, eventually got to deal with it. But uh, and, and I certainly I think he he's pretty much implied that Bradley's seen the entire series. So he's obviously uh, ahead of us in that regard. Sure, but I think he's pretty good about not you know, revealing too much. Oh, that. no yeah. question, no uh, question. Uh, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, clearly, I mean, she says it, I believe, that you know, now I have a whole year before. So she doesn't relish birthdays. Birthdays, when you get to a certain age, birthdays are not necessarily happy. I mean, they're, oh, they're always happy, but you know, it gets to a point where instead of, like, you get to, you, oh, I can't wait to be 18, or I can't wait to be 21, or you, know, you always have these ages that you're kind of looking forward to. And then you get, you know, and also you're like, oh, dang, now I'm 41 or 42. You know, yeah, also I'm, now I'm it's look- like you're going in reverse. Now you you want to kind of go the other direction, but uh, yeah, yeah, it doesn't work that way. I'm looking so forward just, to 30. Yeah, I mean, she's never, as we said, I mean, I don't think she's ever celebrated her birthday at all. And, uh, and so it doesn't really, she doesn't miss it. She doesn't want the fuss, doesn't care for it. And, uh, you know, in fact, it just brings back like, painful or not painful memories but painful ideas of how much other people have had people who've had childhoods as we saw with um was the name alina something like that i can't remember what the character's name was but you know seeing oh she had a childhood i didn't she got balloons i didn't and you know she's rejecting this um and i think that's you know what pisses her off the most is is that uh you know, this woman squandered what she had. You know, she actually had a childhood. She had a chance to have those experiences, and she uh, she kind of throws it away. All right. Well, anyway, we're here to talk about the episode called 411 on the DL that aired November 14th, 2000. And it was written by Doris Egan, who uh, I found out was also one of the writers on Torchwood Miracle Day. And uh. then also Smallwood. And directed by Joanne Fogel. So, uh, Wayne... This was one of the best episodes we've seen so far, and it was I, quite good. Yeah, and I, and, you know, I really like the fact that they made a lot of progress, and they particularly hit us up with the fact that Zach appears in this episode. You know, it, it's it's been for her all about reconnecting with the other twelve, and 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 I think we both thought that they would drag this out probably till the end of the season. And not only do we make contact with one of the twelve, it's Zach for crying out loud. Yeah, I was I was I was telling you, I was shocked that it turned out to be Zach. Um when she and Sam were paired up, at that point I'm like, Oh, I bet you he's one of the kids. Because they were already talking about she was looking for the other kids and but in no way did I think it was gonna be Zach. I figured Zach's gonna be that's like a season ending cliffhanger or something, you know. And here they go in episode six. Bam! There's Zach. That was, yeah. I was I was definitely taken aback by that. Now, did the opening scene where she's street racing with another biker that remind you anything? Oh yeah, uh, Dollhouse. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. You know, and it's funny. I didn't think of that until I'm sitting here looking at my notes. And uh, 
you know, an awesome way to start. And, and they really did a nice job filming because, look, clearly Jessica Alba is not riding the motorcycles, but they did a really good job of making it seem as if she was. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was great. And, uh, you know, right away I thought Dollhouse, and, and obviously Dollhouse came after um, uh, Dark Angel. So, but, you know, it's just another thing where you see, I mean, I, I have to believe that Joss Whedon saw Dark Angel, and so I don't think it's any accident that how closely those two scenes in each show uh, mirror each other. Yeah, although Echo was wearing a helmet. Um, so but she was know, wearing it. She, no, no, she wasn't. Max was not wearing a helmet. Right. Just, she wasn't wearing a helmet, but she was wearing glasses. sunglasses. Right, right, right. Now, yes. you know, the interesting thing, you know, she encounters all these close calls until suddenly she goes down the wrong alley and gets stopped by a police checkpoint. Yeah. Okay? Her ID seems to satisfy them. But I, I was, I guess I just didn't figure out why did they impound her bike? I mean, you know, they tell her to stop her taillight was out. Yeah. Well, it was after the cop smashed it. Right. Which he knew he, I, I just, that, that's like the, you know, the whole cliche, like, Oh, he's going to say, you know, your taillights out. I'm like, really? And then of course, you know, the guys, she's like, no, it's not and like, Oh, yes, it is. And bam, smash it. No, they're just, they're assholes. Right. right? They, and, they can do whatever they want. That's the thing. We we are starting to see now more and more of this police state, of this government, of this bureaucracy, where the authorities have basically unlimited power. We saw it with, what's his name, Walter before. Yeah. Who was shaking them down week in and week out. And the, the second they didn't pay him, he kicks all these people out to the curb. And now we see these just two random guys. Give us your bike. And right. then the guy at the impound line, three grand. Right, and it is, like you said, a big shakedown. Now, let's be fair. She is a hazard to public safety. So yeah, they were, no, they were no at question. least correct there. Right, but they didn't know that. Well, I mean, well, oh, yeah, right, because they didn't know she was street racing. Right. right. Um, now, the other thing that, that I guess struck me is that for someone that's trying to keep a low profile, she and her black Ninja 650 kind of draw attention to her. But, a little bit. Although, yeah. you know. Now, the other thing that... I, are we to assume that the other rider was Zach? Yeah, because that she kind of has that flashback, right, when she goes into his apartment. Yeah. So uh, she might have actually seen something. Like she might have seen the helmet. So I, I can't remember though. But there was something that caused her to immediately think to the the rider when she went to his place. One of the things, you know, before we get into, you know, the actual episode details, I guess, and, and we've kind of brought this up sort of tangentially before, but. You know, in a part of town that is clearly thriving, at least from an activity standpoint, why the hell don't they clean the place up and at least clear out the debris? I I don't know. I mean, it drives me crazy. Don't know. The other question we had was, at first, why don't they recognize each other? Now, obviously, we know when we get to the end that, that he recognized her, but as to why she doesn't recognize him, since it's only been about 10 years since they've seen each other. And you, you and I were talking about this today that, you know, when I, I think I would re- have recognized somebody that I saw at age 10. And even if I didn't see them for 10 more years, I think I'd still recognize them. Mm, I'm not so sure. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a long time and a person's going to look a lot different at, uh, you know, at age 20 than they looked at age 10. So I, I don't see it as being a, a big Oh, that's that's ridiculous. She should totally recognize him. I think maybe she recognized him. I would be the other way. Like, how does she recognize him after ten years? You know, so yeah, it's okay. it's not a major point for me. I, I think I could, 
I think it's well within the uh, realm of excusability. Okay, and I've got some theories on on why they did that, and we'll, we'll get to that. Now, you know, one of the stories, and it wasn't a huge story because the main story centers around Max getting the lead about one of the Manticore escapees. It obviously turns out to be Zach, but the other storyline we have is that Logan's ex-wife returns ostensibly to make amends for her drinking, which apparently was a big factor in their breakup. Although he does tell Max at the end of the episode that um, she, does he say, not that she lied to him. I forget exactly. She played him. She played him. And she did it again. So obviously, I mean, the drinking was one thing, but with it, she, we assume maybe she cheated on him or something. That was just kind of my assumption. Right. Um, But uh yeah, somehow he got played, for, and that was like kind of bitter for him now that he got like basically played again. That he started feeling for her, started thinking maybe even, you know, she's changed. Maybe we can get back together, and only to find out it was just all a big con. Yeah, right. And we see, you know, that that his ex wife is with this deadbeat, I guess, a boyfriend. Although, doesn't she put a ring back on her left finger when she goes back to uh, that? hotel or motel room that they're staying in or whatever it is i didn't catch that obviously she's there to try to squeeze some money out of logan right he's like you know well you know i need to have a thousand dollars by the end of the week and says that she can get it and and it's when you know uh max and i, I think cindy's there uh certainly sketches there and they're they're uh you know lying out somewhere and she notices the tan line on sketch's head and then it flashes back to the tan line on the ex-wife's finger and you know she starts putting two and two together eventually tells logan what's going on which i guess i'm not sure if bling thought that was the right thing to do well you know? yeah he he was clearly of the opinion that it's not that uh, or maybe that you know because max said he's gonna be annoyed at her and it's always like let me give you an, uh, a comparable tale. So I went to church one time and I had like a new pair of pants on and it had like the, the size tag still like running up and down the back of the leg, right? Okay. And so like the lady behind me kind of tapped me on the shoulder and said, hey, you got the sticker still in your pants. And I was mortified and embarrassed, but by and large appreciative of that. So you know, kind of that's what a friend does. A friend like tells you the truth, even though it, you just kind of like a truth you don't necessarily want to hear, you know, and it might make them mad at you. But ultimately, if they're a friend, they're going to like appreciate the fact that you were straight with them, you know? Yeah. And that's I, obviously that's the way Logan took it at the end. Like he said, I, I was pissed off at you for a few minutes, but then, you know, it's really shame on me. And that that you didn't do anything wrong. So she comes in, Val, that is, with the groceries. And he, you know, at that point, just hands her the envelope with the money, tells her to get out. And then, you know, like we were talking about, Bling tracks Max down at the bar and and basically says, you know, Logan knew the truth. Now, you know, you didn't know you had the sticker on your pants, but, you know, he knew the truth and was willing to basically live in this little fantasy world and you know at this point he's feeling pretty alone and and you know max says oh fine i'll go over and read him a bedtime story but i i think the thing about it is and and i guess the reason they have this storyline in there is that it really does parallel what's going on with max and zach is that he's got this romantic vision you know this romantic ideal uh, of her that's just not true and while it's somewhat different 
the uh, maxes of Zach, you know, there is uh, certainly a parallel. Well, and despite their worldliness of, of Max and Logan both, ultimately they both are kind of optimistic, sappy suckers, right? Yeah. Um, Max wants to believe that Zach is this great hero and everything, which he is heroic, you know, don't get me wrong. And, you know, Logan wants to believe that Val really loves him and wants to back. And, and we, you know, we all have these kind of illusions of ours, but, you know, basically, especially if you are an optimistic person, you know, you're going to get burned, right? But yeah. does that mean that you start to think that, do you turn to a pessimist there? Or do you maintain your, your basic faith in humanity? And I think, you know, for both Max and uh, Logan, they maintain their, that basic faith in humanity and that, that basic optimism about, about people, that they are worth saving, that they are worth helping. Well, that's true. I, I think the difference, and, and I agree even with uh, Logan's ex-wife Val, but I, I guess the thing with Max and Zach is that her romantic vision of him, you know, is well-founded in in truth in that you know he was heroic he did help them all escape and then by his own admission uh, for the last 10 years he's been keeping an eye on everybody and we don't know exactly how or what he's been doing to keep everybody safe but you know obviously the difference is that he has not moved on and she has Right, and and he says things like the only thing you can rely on is yourself, and you know he yeah he's still at, at Manticore, right? Which is what yeah. she says to him, and um, and she is trying to have relationships with people, trying to have friends, trying to maybe build some kind of a life where Zach is still running around and doing covert things and all all this stuff, but but he's not stopping to have a one-on-one relationship with anyone i'm not talking about like any kind of romantic necessarily but just a relationship have a friend have a buddy have a pal have a girlfriend none of that stuff he's just on his own fighting the fight yeah and, and i mean like when we're talking about romantic ideals we're not necessarily you know we're not talking about romantic love you know if you remember the scene when she's in his apartment and then he finds her there did you notice when when he she goes to hug him it's as if he doesn't really even no physical human contact that he really doesn't even hug her back. And, and like you said, that she's really trying to move on to become, and, and Logan has even alluded to this on more than one occasion that she's becoming more human. And it's not that she's not human. Obviously she is. She's just genetically engineered. Right. And yeah, but by human being a member of the community, sure. Yeah. You know, not out there, but on your own, um, you know, like not unlike, Bo, when she first comes, when when Lost Girl starts, you know, like spending her whole life running on her own, always watching her back, never stopping to make a connection with anyone. Yeah. And Max has stopped and she's making these connections with people. And that's what she wants more than running off to join, you know, uh, Zach and, you know, fighting the the power. Well, anyway, you know, we, we go back to, you know, Max has to get her bike back because she says, does she say it's like part of her soul? I, I, I meant to write that down, but yeah, she had a lot. She did wax poetic about the bike. It is a nice bike. Uh, it but, is, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know bikes, but just the name Ninja 650 just sounds uh, cool. And it certainly looks cool. But like you said, she, they want 3000, which she doesn't have. And it, it's like, it, it is a shakedown, right? It, they assume 
she's not going to come up with the money. They'll sell the bike or whatever. Um, now, while perusing the used bike ads, she notices that personal ad with a number that turns out to be her barcode number and a meeting location, Yesler and Viaduct at 9 p.m. And I guess one question I have is how did Vogel saying get her barcode number? I find it hard to believe she would have told him her number. Well, maybe when she was in his office one time, she turned around to see a car going by. And I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I, <laughs> it's like I, one of those things that we kind of just like let slide maybe, you know, like, okay. Yeah, but you're right. How did he get it? Right. I mean, what makes sense, I guess, is that as he was pulling together information about the 12, she, he probably ran across information about her as well and, and just never let her know that he had that information, which certainly seems like something Vogel sang would do. Now, Max tells Logan about it, and, and of course, he's concerned that she could be walking into a trap set by Lydecker. And, and look, she goes in with eyes wide open. She, of course, knows that's a possibility, but realizes it also could be one of the 12 that escaped that night, so it's worth the risk to her. Right, and she also is bolstered by the fact that Lydecker is showing a definite lack of cunning in his pursuit of her well you're not kidding and a lot of ham-fistedness so uh um so yeah i wouldn't not that lydecker is not clever but she's probably like eh, he pretty much just comes with guns blazing he doesn't he try to lure me in anywhere if he knew where i was he'd just come get me or whatever or, and if he didn't know where i was he'd just wait till he did and then he'd come with guns blazing so yeah, subtlety is not one of his strengths no not at all uh, but you know, with the uh, vocal saying, you know, here's a guy in the pilot who seemed like he was kind of like sympathetic towards her and on her side. I mean, yes, she was paying him, but we saw him being, being kind of on Team Max. Then we see he kind of gets coerced into betraying her. But now he's just now he's just turned into a jerk. Right? Well, yeah, but on the other hand, I think he's just you know, looking out for himself. I mean, he he tells Max that Lydecker had him locked in a cage for two weeks, so he just wants to get some money and get out of town. He wants to get away from Lydecker, I think, as quickly as he can. You know, back to uh, Logan's place, you know, while Max is talking to him, Logan's ex-wife calls, and I do we determine a little bit of jealousy on Max's part? You know, even though... Oh, I, well, she, started, she, she stalks her, right? So Yeah. Well, but that's... Without but, a doubt. Yeah, but that's after she she puts the, the whole idea about right. the, the, the tan line where the wedding ring would go. Yeah, uh, but uh but i think still the whole pursuit of her yeah it definitely is um yeah no question there's there's jealousy there for yeah, sure Yeah, and of course she manifests it by by teasing logan a little bit about it and he tells her that his ex-wife knows nothing about eyes only that that came you know long after they had split up now uh we've been talking about vogel saying it turns out that he's the one that ran the ad he's got the information he wants fifteen thousand. Now, that's, yeah, that's a lot of money. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, he's, uh, granted, yeah, he's trying to get out of town, but like, okay, you know, I am gainfully employed, but if someone came up to me and said, I need 15 grand, I'm like, dude, I totally do not have that. You know, and Max is a bike messenger. So yeah. she definitely doesn't have 15 grand. So this is like this ridiculous amount of shaking down that he's come up with. Right. And, yeah, you know, and, and he's just like, well, you know, you can get, it. but like, what, what an asshole, you know? Yeah. Like, if if he if he wants to get out of town, just say, here, I got I got a roll. Here's what I got. It's yours, you know. 
or say, can you toss me a couple hundred bucks? You know, I kind of risked my life to get this information, but 15 grand, come on. Yeah. Um, and, and then he of course implies that one of the 12 is actually living in Seattle. So that, that gets her, uh, motivated to try to get the money together. And, you know, she breaks into the impound lot to steal her bike back. And, and, you know, we've talked many times that one of the things about cyberpunk is that these characters are really on the edge, uh, especially on the edge, uh, in, in terms of morality. So, but in this case, stealing her bike back when it was stolen from her in the first place, we're, we're good with that. That's, that's certainly a wash. But then when she goes into the safe, first envelope she finds it has ones in it but then apparently uh, she found a larger envelope and you know we see her take it and then we see her leave and she's not carrying it so we assume she's just stuffed it in her jacket i i can't believe that she would have left that with that much money no she she definitely took the money for sure right right which means uh that i don't think she ever actually met with vogel saying so right. she she should oh, still have so 15 should. grand somewhere She's got fifteen grand and her ninja yeah, six fifty. Yeah, she should be living large. Right. So we'll see yeah, how that yeah. plays out. Um, they could maybe go get a, a real apartment somewhere. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if we were making predictions, which we're not, you know, officially anyway. Just seeing what we see of her, I can certainly see her spreading the wealth among her friends. Not, not sketch though. Sure, right. He'll just uh, blow not it somehow. Sketch. He's, right. he's, a, he's a douche. Right. Now, uh, Vogelsang calls Max and gives her a bit of information as goodwill for her to you know, be motivated to meet him. And it turns out that it's Zach's barcode number, which she remembers. And obviously, we've already had that stage of her life set in that she can, you know, has an incredible memory, especially for numbers. And then Z- Vogelsang turns up shot in the back of the head with a 38. And, and my first impression was that it was done by Lydecker, but it turns out to be Zach. Yeah, exactly. Well, and again, Lydecker and subtlety not mixing. So, you know, I mean, Lydecker doesn't, I'm trying to think if they actually killed people just for like the sake of it, or if they've had a reason, I, I don't, I'm not sure about that. But again, it just seems like if, if Lydecker had done it, he would just be standing right there, you know, wait, you know, like again, like not, hiding not being sneaky well we know uh, he i didn't i didn't suspect zach at all though yeah well right but i mean we know that lydecker's surveilling because he you know the, the, his two guys come with the the surveillance audio now granted because of the nature it sounded like they have something implanted in vogel saying and, right, that, and it's like in the cochlear yeah and that the audio by nature of the the device is not all that sharp and all that clear but regardless, it's clear enough. Why doesn't he just wait for Max to show up to meet Vogelsang? I mean, that's that's one thing that doesn't make any sense in the story. Yeah, uh, yeah I, the, the ways of Lydecker are mysterious for yeah. sure. Yes, uh, but I never I never suspected him of of popping Vogelsang. I just feared, oh, there's some other element at play here that we don't know about. Cause it's just not, not it's not Vogelsang's style, right. you know. You know, but when we do find out, you know, Max tracks down Zach's apartment, finds the Jam Pony Express flyer there, and then, you know, everything starts fitting together. She finds the newspaper with the ad circled. She finds the photographs that, you know, I, I first thought maybe Zach took the photographs. I wonder if he stole them from Vogelsang or, or got them somehow from Vogelsang. 
Um, clearly, he knew about Vogelsang because, as, as he tells her, he became a danger to our safety. That's why I had to take him out. You know, this is war. You know, they do have that little conversation where, and, and okay, first of all, uh, we forgot about the fight scene where the two of them. Oh, that was awesome. That was a pretty cool fight scene. And and I guess what I did like about it, it's like, you know, two friends that haven't seen each other or talked to each other in 10 years, and they just immediately reconnect and pick up where they left off. And granted, in this case, it's through uh, militaristic hand signals uh, fight sequences and and again you know me i don't like really long fight sequences this was perfect and and again really well done yeah, yeah it was fantastic you know we see max fight again pulling these awesome moves all the time now here's someone else doing it too um yeah but it seems like zach just has that one movement that kind of like the hand pointing to his from his right to his left, and it's just like, what if they, what if they don't have to go to their left one time? What does he do then? You know, yeah, like, good. He's always yeah. giving like the same motion, but but yeah, the fight scene was was fantastic. It was really really cool. Right, but you know, at, at the end, after you know they get away, and you know he talks about wanting to go to San Francisco, and then they would split up, and you know she doesn't want to split up. Well, first of all, I don't think she wants to leave Seattle. Right. But yeah. The issue comes up between the two that Zach was willing to trade one life for 12 and for him that's that's a total military decision and it makes perfect sense to him and obviously as she said he says you know didn't don't you remember what they taught us and she says i'm trying to forget as much as i can yeah and and hence is the difference between the two of them as we said before that she is you know wants to be a a, a part of the human race part of the community and not not on the outside Right. Not and, so and, much on the outside, at least. Well, right. And that's what's so great about this episode is that we just see the different paths chosen by Zach and Max. And even for that matter, Val and Logan, you know, in their world. And then it just makes us wonder, you know, what about the other 10? What paths have they chosen? Hopefully we're going to get to see them. I think we've both deliberately stayed away from IMDb and... Uh, well, can, uh, yeah, I mean, I know, like, no, Jensen no, no, Ackles no, no, is a, no. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, anyway. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, sir, I hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll see her reconnect, and it'll be interesting to see the paths that the others have taken, because it's been such a struggle for Max to, you know, achieve some sort of normalcy. Obviously, Zach, for whatever reason, decided not to, and I guess the reason that I think is that he feels like he's their leader and it's his duty to stay on guard. And on one hand, you really have to respect that. For sure. Oh, no question. You have to uh, respect that. And um, there's a certain amount of pathos that goes involved there because you feel like, you know, here's a guy who is just completely devoted to his friends and has sacrificed any kind of life really for himself in order to keep others safe. Yeah. You know, so where, you know, whereas I guess I sound kind of harsh condemning him before, uh, you know, really he's taken this immense responsibility on his shoulders and, uh, and others are safe because of that, uh, because he is on the fringe, because he refuses to, you know, settle down and become a part of the quote unquote community. Right. And you wonder whether she will come to that realization herself at some point, you know, I guess in the same way. That Logan comes to the realization that, you know, I was mad at you at first and it's really shame on me. And and while she may not like trading one for 12, I, I think she'll have to respect at least what Zach's trying to do. And, and 
you know, feel some compassion for him. Yeah. Yeah. And, exactly. Well, I, I, I'm, I think she does have um, compassion uh, for him, you know, but you know, with that also this kind of deep sadness, right? And I mean, both her and, and Logan just disappointed that their romantic ideals turned out to be false or, and certainly not what they expected. And, and like, uh, I believe it's her that says wanting to believe in something that's just not there. I guess that's part of growing up. Yeah, true. true part right. of being human. Now, yep. you know, now, you know, the other little storyline that I, again, I'm still trying to figure out why, and that <laughs> that's the, uh, the changes at jam pony express that herbal right. gets fired for smoking weed in the men's room. And right. number one, I guess I was surprised that it was illegal in this, in this future. Um, two is this like, doesn't he do this all the time? I mean, his name is Herbal, so I just kind of assume <laughs> that, you know, it's like this is a common occurrence, you know. Should not be a surprise, but. Uh, yeah, like told, not surprise. Right. And he takes his firing rather well, rather stoically, and, and normal hires uh, a guy who just came by looking for work who turned out to be Zach. And, and not to get too far off track, and, and I think you mentioned this before we went on the air is that it, it's almost as if Zach was deliberately trying to act like a klutz. Yeah, that's again, that's like, you know, kind of roused my suspicion that he seemed like, you know, too incompetent for someone that good looking, as I think I said before. Right? Yeah. Now, so why is Herbal's story important? You know, so we find out that his woman is with her former boyfriend, but not just with her former boyfriend. Her former, bo- former boyfriend has apparently in. moved in with them. Yeah. Yeah. And eating his food and herbal's trying to be cool about it love and understanding i guess what i'm trying to figure out is this supposed to somehow parallel max logan and val or i i don't know i'm just uh, yeah i'm not so sure i think it might have been just kind of like straight up uh comic relief yeah and everything but uh you know it's funny because the guy's name is winston right so you i'm sure you've never seen lock stock and two smoking barrels right i haven't of course i'm thinking like uh 1984 winston but right, right. trying to make winston, some sort of winston connection today. but well no but in this it's there's this really funny part because these like um these like british white british dudes who are growing pot that they're going to sell and it's all part of this convolute plot here but one of these kids is this guy you know again college educated like white kid he who talks like he's from the west indies right and just remember the one guy's name is winston and the guy's like chill winston like that he says it like you know like you hear like a british kid saying that it's uh, hilarious because they're just you know putting on a pose and everything like that so when i saw this i'm like oh it's like you know like because when he says winston like in his you know west indian accent it's still like reminding me of a uh, lock stock and two smoking barrels so just a little side note. All right. Now, there weren't a ton of really clever lines in this episode, but No, uh, yeah, it's hard pressed to find one to, to to end with, but I got some I got some candidates up there. You know, I mean, certainly the, you know, Zach tells Max in the coffee shop maybe we knew each other in a past life, which is kind of throwing out there that obviously in retrospect that, you know, he knows at that point. Um I I don't know what it means. Black coffee is apparently $5, you know, and then the final scene, you know, Logan tells Max that he keeps wanting to believe in something that was never there in the first place. And, and, you know, obviously the same thing with Max and Zach, Uh, she tells him she thought finding Zach would change things that her life would finally make sense. And, and I guess the irony is that she's done that on her own, right? You know, her life does have meaning, you know, it does make sense and, and that it will continue to, but 
I guess she just doesn't see it yet. No, it's just still, it's just everything. This has all been like a whirlwind, you know? I think. Well, sure. And I mean, look, I mean, she has developed human impulses, like wanting to connect with someone while Zach just sees himself as a soldier who has to constantly stay on the run. And, and again, we'll see. I mean, we really haven't seen Max with anybody in, in a, a physical relationship other than the, the guy she picked up at the bar that night. And then of course he passes yeah, out he, before he anything can happen, which is uh, still but, ridiculous. Anyway, after Max and Logan both determined that they're neither tired nor hungry, he asks her if she'd like to take a spin in the park. And I, I guess I wasn't sure if he meant like on her bike or, you know, him in his wheelchair. But I think the key point though, she says, well, it's raining, isn't it? I'm like, okay, what do we got here? The rain and rebirth. Yeah, maybe. I guess. Yeah. So. But yeah, right. Could be. Yeah. Or it could be like, you know, uh, they'll just get wet. <laughs> yeah. Like say anything, right? Like oh, John yeah. Cusack. That was a great film. Yeah, I love, I'm a big fan of Say Anything. I love that film. Um, but yeah, yeah, like yeah, the, like the the rain washes away clean slate, all this stuff. Maybe you just wanted to see your shirt get wet. Well, I, right, and and you know, but again, I, I this is a show that you know, do they have some you know trite plot devices? Yeah, sometimes you know, do they do things that we cringe a little bit yeah but see here i love the fact that they don't they just talk about going out in the rain they don't actually do it right and 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 we suspect that they will do it but we don't see it. go out in the rain yep so yeah oh i thought it was a nice touch too yeah you know it was it was kind of like i don't know if i want to use the word sweet but it was it was a nice ending for two people who both of them really got shaken up um by by people, and not you know, like Logan getting burned, Max being kind of both of them being disappointed in their kind of reconnection with their past, both feeling vulnerable and alone, and so a little walk in the rain together. That was I thought it was a nice touch. Well, yeah, I did too. And I mean, when you look at Logan's life, I mean, who does he have? I mean, Bling is his employee, and while you know, Bling seems to care for him, he pays him. And, right. you know, while she certainly has people that she cares about and that clearly care about her, it's almost as if he, you know, Logan, he, he's in a different strata. And I don't just mean financially um, so that, you know, just this connection, it's almost like it's the next step in her evolution away from her manticore self. So, you know, I really liked it for in, in that regard as well. Yeah, so, definitely. So, yeah. Yeah, it's all kinds of good stuff happening there. Yeah, so uh, anything else? Uh, I just wanted to talk about one thing, not really talk about, just kind of point out uh, when uh, Zach and Max are escaping, he kind of does this thing with the the rope that he gets hooked up and then like swings her from the one building to the other. It's just total like Star Wars nod. Oh, okay. I do remember the scene. I didn't pick up the Star Wars uh, illusion. Well, I, I guess really... No one can swing a girl from one thing to another anymore without people saying, oh, that's totally from Star Wars, you know, but it it is kind of. Cool. It's pretty, you know, iconic scene, right? All right. So, yeah, that's it. All right, cool. Well, listen, thanks for joining us tonight. If you'd like to send some feedback, we'd love to hear from you. Emails 
to fatalistpodcast at gmail.com or voicemails via the speak pipe, which you can access through the Fatalist website. We will be back next week to talk about Dark Angel Episode 7 titled Prodigy. However, until next time. Okay, Dave, you remember back to school night a couple nights ago? No. Well, the night we escaped, you put your lives in my hands, and I've been looking out for you, all of you. <laughs>